Earlier this week, Donald Tusk, the former Prime Minister of Poland and leader of the Polish opposition, declared victory in his country's general election. I've never been so happy in my life, he said. Poland has won. Democracy has won. We removed peace from power. Yesterday, the final results came in. Donald Tusk and his political allies gained enough votes to form the next coalition government. This means that PiS, the right-wing Law and Justice Party, who have ruled the country for the last eight years, are out. This is one of the most beautiful days of Poland's democracy, and I have no doubt that this day will go down in our history as a day that opens a new era and the rebirth of our republic. During the eight years that the Law and Justice Party were in power, they rolled back on abortion rights for women, they demonised LGBTQ plus people and migrants, and they moved further away from the European project, seriously damaging EU relations. So it really seems that voters took heed that it wasn't just about Poland, that all of Europe was watching, and that from people I was talking to, they were really aware that this is something, this is about something more. This isn't just about lone parents' allowance or pensions, that this was about something more significant. And I really think the, the result indicates that. I'm Sarah Pollock, and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today, a political earthquake in Poland, what the election results will mean for Polish people and the rest of the EU. Derek Scally is an Irish Times journalist based in Berlin who also covers Central Europe for the paper and who has just returned from a week in Poland reporting on the general election. Derek, Poland's general election has been described as the most consequential European election of recent years. The results are now in and law and justice have won the most seats, but they haven't won the election and there will be a historic change in government now. Can you explain why that is? Yes, we're talking on uh, Tuesday and the results have just come in after the Sunday poll. And yeah, for the Law and Justice Party on paper, they won. They got about 35% of the poll. But realistically speaking, they actually lost 41 seats. So they're well short of a majority in the new Sejm, the Polish lower house of parliament. And it's the second placed civil coalition, which is led by Donald Tusk. He's a former mm. prime minister and he spent some time in Europe as well. He's back and um, he very much has a very comfortable coalition option with possibly one and most likely two other parties. So the second place party won the election. So the Law and Justice Party is a right-wing nationalist populist party. It is led by its founder, Jaroslaw Kaczynski, and he is a major force on the right wing in Polish politics. Derek, what has he and his party represented in Poland since they took power eight years ago in 2015? They took power um, from Donald Tusk and Donald Tusk's party with the promise that they would basically turn things on its head in Poland, that there were many people, mostly outside the big cities, who were feeling they'd been a bit left behind, whether it was opportunities, whether it was infrastructure, whether it was even simple things like pensions and welfare. And he basically promised sort of a, a, 
uh, a cultural revolution that the ordinary people of Poland didn't really have to feel ashamed for themselves, that they were the true Poles and he was their representative. So they describe his politics as national conservative and over time with a very healthy dose of populism. And they built it up. They basically started a culture war in Poland where they said, you know, you are Polish, you are Polish nationalist, Catholic, proud Poles, and we are your representatives and we are the only people who will defend you, defend Poland, defend Polish interests. Mm-hmm. And things got very dark very quickly, very emotive, quite vicious. Mm-hmm. Their aim was a total takeover of all public institutions, not just parliament, but also the courts, also the media, something similar to what you see in Hungary. But I think you could say um, they never quite got that far. So what has been the real impact of their eight years in power? I mean, if we're looking at Poland now versus Poland eight years ago, what are the major issues that have changed? Well, it depends on who you ask. If you ask women, uh, it's mm. been a, a chilling few years. In the last last year, uh, the Polish government rolled back abortion rights. Tens of thousands of people on the streets of Warsaw. For what organizers say is the largest of nine days of protests against a near total ban on abortions in Poland. In the communist era, abortion was quite freely available. In the post immediately after the transition to democracy in the 1990s, uh, the church, the Catholic Church lobbied for some restrictions. Um, but it was only last year that they tightened things up pretty much with very few exceptions. You cannot um, have an abortion as a woman in Poland. Mm-hmm. Not only that, if you have any complications in pregnancy and you go into the hospital, the doctors are so afraid to do anything that they're more likely to look at you rather than help you. And there have been cases of of, of women losing babies. Uh, but also losing their own lives. So I think that was really quite a dramatic change. It was not something anyone could have imagined possible in Poland. And so for a lot of women, that has been the big change. I think also in other things that are less visible, but increasingly worrying, um, the courts, um, the Law and Justice Party felt that it is entitled to control the courts. It will put in people it thinks are good people, party people, um, into the highest courts, the constitutional court, the Supreme Court and and then trickle down effect by creating a new body to appoint judges, which is very much under control of parliament, the ruling party, and um, can discipline judges if they don't deliver on the right kind of ruling. So the real worry there was, and this is where the European Union started getting worried, is how can you be sure that a ruling from a Polish court is fair and not just uh, a judge who's either beholden to the ruling party or afraid of the ruling party? Mm. And then finally, um, public media. Um, I think it's fair to say Polish public television, TVP, is just a mouthpiece for the government. It, it, it was sort of an attack dog for the government. It would repeat government lines right up until the final debate, uh, the televised debate, where they were asking ludicrous questions, which were effectively theses put forward by the government, and they were putting them to opposition parties and attacking them and, and so on. So it's been quite a radical shift. It's been quite chasing to realize how quickly a, a party can capture a country or at least try to. And that's why this election was so important because they were almost there. They hadn't quite gotten a full takeover, but a third term for peace, I think, would have completed their takeover, which their supporters were hopeful would happen. But it really, I think, for Poland and Poland's place as a liberal democracy in the EU would have been fatal. On that, Donald Tusk said at a party event on Monday that the defeat of law and justice meant the end of, quote, evil times and that 
the results signalled the rebirth of Poland. So essentially, this election was being spoken about as a battle of good versus evil. Is that just political hyperbole or do you think this election was genuinely that important? Um, I think evil is a very emotive term and it's quite dehumanizing to describe somebody's evil. But if Donald Tusk was here, he would say, well, I didn't start it. Uh, Jarosław Kaczynski uh, sort of has introduced uh, Polish politics always had a robust rhetorical style as a, as a visitor, a regular visitor to a country. Um, it's often surprising. You just hear the things they're calling each other, but things got very harsh and evil started coming in. And mm. it really reflects this culture war that's going on. It's, each side, Tusk's camp and Kaczynski's camp, each convinced that they best know the Polish soul. And if the Polish soul is to survive, that they, they, they must defeat, they must vanquish their opposition. And, and that for me points a, a huge problem going forward that yes, Donald Tusk won. I mean, he, he and Kaczynski were both running, uh, as candidates in Warsaw and Tusk got, um, four times as many votes. So you could say he's highly popular in big cities but in the, in the countryside where uh, traditionally peace the Kaczynski party has its base um, they're still hugely popular and let's not forget they got over 30% of the vote mm. so um, they, they really haven't gone away 35% yeah. so there's still a third of the country that despite all of the concerns of people like me or people in the European Commission um, 35% of the country still believe in them but I think the idea is that it's the they've reached a, a ceiling they can't go further but they really have injected a radicalism a violence into Polish politics and Trying to extract that now, trying to lance that boil will be will be very challenging. In Poland, just two weeks before parliamentary elections, the opposition coalition is holding a rally in Warsaw. Opposition leader Donald Tusk is leading the protest rally, dubbed the March of a Million Hearts. He's calling it the last chance to save democracy in Poland. This opposition coalition led by Donald Tusk is an alliance of three political parties representing the left, the centre and the centre-right. So actually it was most of the rest of the Polish political spectrum coming together to take on the Law and Justice Party. How hard was it, Derek, for them to find a common ground to campaign on? What was their main pitch to voters? Well, there were various pitches. I think the the ones that were most effective was uh, in particular for women and um, the idea of giving security back to women. I mean, this is this went across party lines. I spoke to women from all parties who said you know, that they, they were voting as a woman and not as a political, you know, looking to a political party. Which party will give me or my daughter mm. uh, the feeling that she's safe and that she's respected in her own country? I attended a, a rally last week in the city of Łódź in central Poland. It's an industrial city and it was a hall almost filled entirely with women and angry women. Mm. Donald Tusk spoke, but he spoke very briefly and he said, um, you know, I'm not here to talk. I'm here to listen. But he said, you know, you women have been victimized, attacked, harassed by the highest forces of this state. And it just it can't be the case that we have to fight now for women's fundamental rights. There were some amazing speakers there, a 26-year-old Polish lawyer, Ines. She's just been elected, I noticed. Um, and she sent a clear message. She said to Jarosław Kaczynski, I want to send a message to a man who hates women. Jarek, his nickname, your government will be destroyed by women. I wouldn't go so far to say it was destroyed, but there definitely seems to have been a clear trend that don't mess with Polish women. 
I think the notion of fairness, um, law and justice came to power promising fairness, but it became quite clear quite quickly that their notion of fairness to you depended on your notion of loyalty to them. And the law and justice government, they have done remarkable infrastructure projects and, and so on. In, in they, they really did give people outside of Warsaw and Krakow the feeling of being seen. Uh, and there have been some, I travel around the country and in, in the last decade, there have been some remarkable infrastructure projects. But the notion that it comes at a price that uh, and and the opposition were very much able to say, look, this comes at a price mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's either all or nothing. Finally, I mean, it was a two term government after usually in your second term governments start to make mistakes and there were lots of slips. There were lots of scandals. And the latest quite damaging one was uh, claims that over 200,000 Schengen visas were being sold by Polish officials in consuls around the world or, or agents appointed by Poland. So the idea that this was a law and justice party, a law and order party. Yeah, it just started getting sort of the, the, the taint of sleaze was definitely coming in. This election attracted a record turnout, nearly 73% of polls, the highest since the fall of communism in 1989. Derek, who were these people and why were they so intent on voting? I think these people were from all walks of life. Um, Poland still has a very strong um, city-country divide. And uh, I definitely think uh, the cities have spoken here. In the past, there's often a lot of apathy. Oh, they're all the same. Even in this campaign, you know, Tusk, and uh, Kaczynski together. I mean, I think they have a combined age of 150 or something. <laughs> yeah. So they 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 have been fighting each other like sort of two Japanese monsters, yeah. you know, these Godzilla versus whatever. And a lot of younger people were fearing. I was afraid that they would all just stay at home saying these old white men, when will they go away? Mm. And there was a far right party, which was apparently going to clean up and destroy the, the status quo. Uh, so two things happened. The young people definitely came to vote. Um, but they didn't go extreme. The the far right party really didn't perform at all. Got 18 seats. It was aiming for between 30 and 40. So uh, we, they didn't go extreme. So voters came back. Young voters came back. They didn't vote extreme. And they really threw their weight into sort of the centre and centre left and really shrugged off this sort of Polish national conservatism. And Derek, then there's the millions of Poles who live abroad. Poland has a huge diaspora and many of them would have been um, taking part in this election. Do we know what they were saying and thinking about what's been happening in their home country? Yes, Poles. I mean, in the US, it's the Poles and the Irish are among the largest ethnic groups. And in Ireland, we had record numbers with huge queues outside the Polish embassy, um, but also elsewhere in the country. And I think about... 125,000 people were registered to vote and there were 11 polling stations and, and people who spoke to us in the Irish Times, they said, we're worried about our country, worried about the direction of our country. Obviously, if you're outside the country, you're reading different media and so on. But around 600,000 people were registered to vote. That's twice the number of 2019. So you could say that the polls living in Ireland and elsewhere were even more sensitized to the idea that this is a crunch election. This is a poll and is at a crossroads. And Many have made lives in Ireland and elsewhere, but they're always, you know, like Irish people, they're always thinking, yeah, well, I'm possibly going to go back. Mm. It's interesting that Poland allows their citizens to vote, even if they're abroad. Ireland doesn't really trust Mm -hmm. its expats in the same way. Um, That's another debate for another day. But (laughs) it's that the numbers I've seen so far that the the, the Tusk uh, party, the civic uh, coalition got twice 
it was like two to one, them and peace. So it seems like people uh, living abroad, from what I've seen so far, they really had very little time for Kaczynski and his sort of cultural war. And they were tired of that mm -hmm. and perhaps tired of, of the reputational damage that Poland has sustained uh, across Europe. Uh, and so they're hoping for an end to that. And I'd say a lot of them are quite happy now. I'll continue my conversation with Derek Scally after this short break. And then there's a geographical element to this, with supporters of law and justice coming traditionally from more rural southeastern areas and then support for the opposition coming from urban areas and the northwest of the country. So, Derek, how deep are these divisions in Poland? Yeah, Poland, it's a huge country in Central Europe um, with around 38 million people. And it's just had the worst time over history. It's been a football kicked back and forth between uh, Prussia, Germany and and Russia in its, all its forms over the years. It's mm. been partitioned, it's disappeared, it's come back. It had the horrors of Nazi Germany playing out in its territory. So it's been back and forth and it's very much a country of, yeah, it's a country of still of have and have nots. It's a booming economy, but is that trickling down? There's a definite sort of east-west divide. There's a city uh, town country divide but yeah definitely the further west you go the further you go closer to Germany the more sort of liberal Tusk country and the further east you go towards Belarus and Ukraine yeah the more traditionally um, traditional Polish values Catholic Church and and peace that divide has always been there I'd say that divide has grown over the last years mm -hmm. and and the, the the defenders of peace would say we had an eye out for the little guy who had been ignored by sort of these cosmic Politan Tusk supporters in the big cities. I think the critics of peace would say, yes, you were exploiting people's sense of inferiority or their sense of victimhood. You weren't necessarily doing anything for them. So it's the divisions are still there. And I don't really see Donald Tusk has said in several rallies and rallies I attended, he said, yeah, I have to unite the country. I'd love to see what that plan looks like because things are so toxic, so scorching and so nasty. I don't know whether you do something radical at the start or whether it's a process of trying to knit the country together again, because most people I know really don't know how that could happen because, yeah, two terms are really enough just to completely polarize uh, and poison uh, public discourse. Assuming Donald Tusk does take power, he will have a big job in front of him to make some of the reforms that he's been promising during his campaign. It won't be too easy either, for example, to depoliticise the judiciary or to remove the bias from the state media. How does how will he go about doing that? Yes, I'd say this is probably the greatest dilemma. Do you do it quick? Do you do it slow, gradually? Do you do it drastic? Mm. Or do you do it sort of with fairness? You know, because no matter what he does, people will be criticizing him as saying that's the inappropriate reaction. For instance, there's many people who say, no, you have to go in, let's say, to public television. I mean, it's, I could tell you some of the staggering things they've said about Donald Tusk over the years, claiming he's a German spy or a, a Brussels patsy, he's in bed with the Russians and so on. Do you go in with a big brush and just 
you know, take out the trash, as the critics would say, or do you go in and say, right, we, you know, if this was, if this was the other way around, peace would probably go in and fire you all. We're not going to fire you all. You just have to do proper public service journalism. Not sure what the right approach there is. Um, most people in Poland, or a vast majority of people don't trust public media anymore. They're paying for it. They just don't trust it. So we're not sure what the approach will be there. As for the judiciary, it's a complete mess, mm. Sarka. It's really hard to overestimate. I mean, the, the, the issue for an Irish listener or an international audience is if Polish courts are not con- perceived to be fair, if the rule of law in Poland is considered impaired, the rest of the European Union um, and the courts will be less happy working with them. We've had cases in Pol- in Ireland where judges said we're not sending somebody back for uh, on, an, on an extradition warrant because we're not sure they'll get a fair trial. Um, and elsewhere, you know, if you're doing business, if, if you have a legal dispute in Poland with a local partner, are you sure the courts will deal with it? So this is why the stakes are so high. And this is why, you know, all eyes will be on Mr. Tusk. Can he restore some sort of faith in the judicial system? Because what you have are judges who were appointed legally by regular means and then you have judges who are appointed by new rules which are contested and basically the European Commission and every other country in Europe seems to think uh, are unfair but those judges are in power and will it be a political intervention by the government will it be considered political interference to get rid of those judges or do you just give them a stern talking to and say you know your political masters are out of power we now want you to stay in power but do fair rulings. So again, how far do you go? How drastic do you go? How fast do you move? How slow do you move? It'll be very interesting to see how how drastic or how moderate his response will be. And then what about Poland's position now internationally on the European stage? Um, Listeners to this podcast will know that Poland, under the Law and Justice Party, and as you've just mentioned, has had many clashes with the European Union in recent years, mainly over its uh, judicial reforms. A million euros a day, the European Court of Justice imposes a record fine on Poland for ignoring the ruling to suspend its Supreme Court disciplinary... Will these tensions suddenly disappear under Tusk or is this going to be a slow road back in re-establishing itself on the European stage? Yeah, we don't know. I mean, we have with Tusk somebody who knows... Brussels and knows how things work. Mr. Kaczynski didn't speak any other languages. As far as I know, he's rarely left Poland. Mm. Uh, very, he's a very wily operator, but you know, every time he didn't get his way in Brussels, he would frame it as, well, you know, they're haters. They hate Poland and so on. So we're not going to get that with Tusk. Tusk is a very moderate voice. Mm. Um, friends of mine who've worked for him have said he's a really, a really great guy to work for. So he knows how to work the Brussels machinery, but he still has to convince them that the judiciary has been put right. Uh, before things can change there. I think, you know, to be fair to Poland, there has been a lot of good in the last years. Uh, they have really emerged in the Ukraine crisis as a, a trustworthy partner and the US and other countries have been extremely grateful for their assistance uh, with Ukraine, taking in millions of refugees and also becoming a base for Western NATO allies, bringing equipment into Ukraine and training Ukrainians in Poland. Uh, that was why it was so surprising in the election campaign that for political reasons, Peace suddenly decided to turn on Ukraine and say, you know, we, we're not accepting any of your grain. We're not going to export any weapons to you. Most people said this is politics. This is a political campaign. But it was kind of damaging considering all, all the good Poland had done mm. on that front, all the trust had 
built up. So I'd say we'll see a return to normality there with Tusk. Um, Poland is a very strong NATO ally, and I think Tusk will be anxious to uh, earn back that trust, particularly with the US uh, and, um, and around Europe. Derek, you know Poland very well. You've spent a lot of time there over many years. So from where you're sitting, what do you think the next few months and years will look like in Poland? Poland is a remarkable country. One of the real benefits of living in Berlin is that I'm an hour from from Poland and I love Polish food and, you know, going to Warsaw, it's just such a remarkable city and and Krakow and Poznan, it's just such an amazing rich place. Any Irish people who've been there maybe for the European Championships will remember how amazing the place is mm. and the food is and the people. So I really have always wished them the best and obviously as an observer, you don't get involved in domestic politics, but it did seem in the last years that Poland was sort of, you know, um, punching below its weight. It has so much to contribute. Its economy is booming. Um, so maybe with confidence restored in itself and confidence of its partners in the EU in particular restored, um, it's got some good years ahead of it. Yeah, it's proved itself in the last years, despite all the difficulties. It is growing into becoming an absolutely indispensable country right at the heart of Europe, and we can't afford to not have them there. Thanks so much for your time today, Derek. Thank you. That's all for today. For more of Derek's reporting on the Polish election, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Sarah Chapalek. This episode was produced by Suzanne Brennan. In the news, we'll be back on Friday. <laughs>